Hello, Mark. Uh, it's great to be here again in our True Business podcast. In fact, today is the day after the air show out at Avalon. Yes, and that's been an interesting... I had the planes flying over my house over the, uh, the weekend. It was quite amazing. What an event. And in fact, uh, in our future podcasts, uh, hopefully we'll be talking to Justin Giddings, who organises the, uh, the, the air show and was the CEO out at Avalon Airport. And I'm sure he's sitting at today sitting at home today wondering about how do I get all those cars in and out of that car park. <laughs> anyway, we're here today with a special guest. So, yep, we're here with Chris Davies from Evo Logic. Good morning, Chris. Morning, Mark. Morning, Bill. Morning. And we're sitting out at Runway, where Chris's offices are located at Federal Mills. And uh, we use meeting rooms around Runway, which is a great location. If, if you want to book a meeting room, I'm sure you can contact Runway, but that's a, beside the point. So welcome, Chris. And uh, I suppose the story we always ask, or the starting point we always ask is, where did you go to primary school? Uh, great question. Um, Grovedale, so Geelong bred. Uh, not necessarily born, but don't tell anybody. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, parents moved to Geelong when I was six months old. So we uh, grew up in Grovedale right across the road from my primary school and high school. So I literally heard the bell go, then I got out of bed, <laughs> and then I was the last one to always get to school. And I know, <laughs> I uh, love it. Mark, sorry, it's on the, uh, you started there, but let's just jump back to the now. You're the Managing Director of EvoLogic. Can you just uh, give us a snapshot on EvoLogic? Uh, EvoLogic, uh, IT managed services company, which effectively means we're an outsourced IT department for organisations between 20 and 500 staff uh, across, we call it Western, uh, Western Victoria is our sandbox, but we've got clients all the way up the eastern seaboard now. Right. So, sorry, Mark. No, no, no. I, I should have done that. But going back to the beginning and probably an early Commodore computer, I guess, in the, in the past. <laughs> yeah. That was my next question. What was your first computer? Uh, well, it's actually a, a Dick Smith uh, DX2000, I think it was, which had rubber keys and it was a horrific thing, but I still remember it was fantastic. You used to plug it in the TV that you had the knob. You used to pull the knob yep. out on the TV and when you get up early and try and change the channel and not wake everybody up. So did that get your interest no, not really. Um, architecture or music was, was, was my passion in, in high school. Um, wasn't necessarily paying enough attention to my high school education because uh, I was playing music. Um, and my, my dad's actually quite a good musician uh, and tried to coach me out of becoming a musician. Uh, he's an engineer, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, so ended up not doing the correct maths to get me in and ended up doing an electronics degree um, that had programming uh, and, and computers as part of that and fell into a career. Yeah, interesting. So tell us a bit about the music. What, so while at high school, were you in a band? Were you? Uh, a couple of small bands. We didn't do, do much at all. Um, played in some jazz bands and so on. Um, a lot of my friends are now professional musicians, um, of which I am nowhere near anymore, uh, and particularly after a motorcycle crash when I was 21 and broke some fingers on my left hand. So... <laughs> It stops the guitar. It's, it's never quite been the same. <laughs> and and do, but do you still play? Do you still? Yeah, uh, not not frequently enough, but it's still a passion. I still zone out from time to time in my my little office at home. And architecture, you mentioned. What was what led you to think about that? I always found an interesting mix between science or, or, or some type of mechanical structure and the artistic form of which I think has helped through business around it's a lot of structure from mechanics but then it's also to pinch a leading team's term the dynamics and the 
the I suppose the, the soft side of it being relationships and, and people. Very cool. And your first job then, Chris, where, where, at high school or earlier? I was a delivery paper delivery boy in high school, um, uh, which a lot of people are. And uh, at uni, I used to clean a high school um, at 7am in the morning before I went to uni. That was always fun. But uh, I've also noticed in doing some background work that you worked as a barman somewhere and you worked as a cook somewhere else. So you had a... a the usual university part-time work experience. I think, well, I think hospitality gives yeah. you so much, I guess from a human interaction perspective. My, my wife was a hospitality manager for a while. It's, uh, if it pops up on a resume, I'll always put that resume to the top if somebody's got hospitality experience, um, particularly in our industry, who have phenomenal relationships with screens but not so great relationships with humans. So if somebody's been through the crucible, through the, that... Uh, hospitality uh, a fire, which it is, um, it really makes them a better human, I think. Uh, I know you started in 2002, there were just two of you, and today you've got 40 employees. Yes. Um, does this, this, what we read about all the time is this staff shortage, employee shortage, does that affect your business? Uh, we haven't historically had challenges finding people. Um, finding skills is becoming a challenge because particularly in the last few years, uh, although it's really come off in the last six months, um, skills gaps have become a problem because wages have risen phenomenally and all the large tech companies were hiring through COVID like no man's business. Um, but now seven, 10% cuts happening pretty much across the board at the large providers. Um, we haven't necessarily found a great deal of issues. Um, we tend to look after our people. We've got some, you know, 16, 17 year long-termers. Um, retention's a big part of, very I think, good. most professional well, services. Mark, that's very telling when you've got long-term employees, isn't it? Very good. The, um, and if, uh, I guess, and I always ask this question, we go out and interview your staff and ask them about your leadership style, um, and I noticed, I'll just go back a bit, I noticed on your website there is a headline that says, Evologic has a reputation for being a happy workplace, being officially certified as a great place to work. What have you done to create and per perpetrate this culture? Perpetrate? That's a, that's a, now, that's I know a... you didn't write your <laughs> no, script on your I, website. I, I'd never call it perpetrate. It's just... <laughs> and we, um, and there's a couple other words in here, but I think you, we, we know who your content writer is, so we, maybe we better go and talk to him. Yeah. Um, it's funny, my, um, my daughter is actually a junior graphic designer at Pixel as well, yeah. and there's a joke that I'm branded as the happy CEO within that office because most of the other CEOs they talk to are quite often just grumpy and stressed <laughs> all the time, and I managed to smile. Um, we were actually just recertified this week, um, with great places to work for the second year in a row. So that's just a, it's a nice yeah. uh, third party test as opposed to you feel like you're creating a good workspace, but to have that anonymously surveyed is, is a real nice thing to have. And I also notice on this paragraph here, oh God. you should have read your website before <laughs> I came, <laughs> that uh, the quote I live by is be a leader and all. You all be the leader you always wished you had. And of course, that's a Simon Sinek. Simon Sinek, say. yes. Yes. Uh, he well, again, a lot of what Simon writes about is what you would hope would be common sense. Um, really privileged enough to see him speak live once, which was 
a hilarious moment where the conference I was at was branded about find your why um, and that was his previous book but he had just written Leaders Eat Last and he sat down on stage with the CEO of the company at the conference and he goes so tell me about finding your why and he said looked him dead in the eye and said I don't do that anymore I'm now talking about Leaders Eat Last and the whole conference <laughs> had to change <laughs> tact on that point and he just stood his ground and talked about why leaders eat last and, and how leading isn't necessarily a me first uh, exercise. So to come back to Bill's <laughs> yes. question, what, what would your team describe you as a leader? Mm, um, it's a challenge. It, it's, um, there's a fine line between falling into the friend zone as a leader, but also isolation, um, which I think a lot of people probably, probably felt. Um, people want to work with someone that they know is technically competent uh, in, in some ways, uh, but also uh, competent from a character perspective and has their best interest at heart. So I hope that they would all say that about me, that I genuinely want the best for everybody within the, under the roof as well as the client base. Um, it's not about somebody benefiting disproportionately to somebody else, um, but there's also, a, I guess, a need that everybody has to achieve common outcomes. So collaborative I guess um, probably a little bit too much on the coaching side from time to time I give people a bit too much time to come up with solutions um, when sometimes a bit more guidance might be required um, so some personal failings around maybe giving people too many chances from time to time but is that a bad thing sometimes no. um, a good theory of late around um, a short-term acute pain is often better than a long-term dull ache uh, and sometimes if you give two people too many chances, you can accept mediocrity for way too long. Uh, yeah, I think I agree with that one. It's, uh, yeah, I've seen you? that back in my corporate life. I think that was the, the way of the world with a lot of people in corporate. Yeah. So, Chris, you, um, you left high school. Where, so where, you went to uni? Yes. So uh, De- where, where'd you go? Deakin. Deakin? Um, Rusden campus, which doesn't exist anymore, um, up in um, Blackburn. Okay. So spent three years up there. Uh, the course was transferred down to Geelong, and I actually got kicked out because I failed eight out of ten subjects in one year, just through lack of attention. other things. <laughs> lack of attention. Um, Music. Just uh, well, life. Yeah. Well, we'll call it life. Um, I tell the story to my kids that I, I talked my way back in, which is my first opportunity to, to learn sales, um, which I think is a skill most leaders should learn. Um, so yeah. Finished that, uh, it's an applied science degree in microprocessor applications, which might be the longest degree name of all time, uh, and have maybe touched a soldering iron twice in the last 30 years after that. And so wh- where did you go from there? What, what got you into the IT? My, my best friend, uh, we shared a unit in Melbourne while we were both going to, to uni, and he was lucky enough to be doing a Novell Netware, which is like a precursor to Microsoft Windows, oh, competitor to at the time, um, network uh, course at RMIT. And there was a guy he met sitting there who happened to be the service delivery manager for IT at Alcoa at the time. Um, And they were doing a big rollout of Windows NT4, which was a really old operating system. Um, And he had a job. And then I applied for a job also and was on a contract term to do these Windows NT rollouts. Um, I was 21. uh, And at that stage, I think wasn't necessarily into IT or computers, found that it was okay. Um, within two or three years, I was the site 
supervisor down there um, as I almost hit the table. Um, <laughs> and they moved me to Sydney to manage a site up there as well. So within three years, I was leading a team of maybe five or six people down down here. So, so the early leadership skills came years. out very good. That's right. Easy to rise to the top in, in some ways when you can interface with humans in an industry that isn't necessarily known for it. So, And that's, I think, a lot of people find that that I speak to over the years where they become technically proficient but feel like management is the next step but may not be, whereas I was the other way. I didn't want to go to management. I wanted to go deeper, te more technically. So I left Alcoa to shed that, I suppose, management. We won't call it leadership at that stage uh, and, and try and find some more technical depth. But within the next role, was pushed into a management position as well so I, I, at some point I went you know what maybe there's something in this did you used to go to work with a cap on with a little propeller on the top <laughs> right? actually I bought some of those for the staff a few years ago um, we do spin our propellers quite often uh, it's, it's, it's the nerdy flex now um, what's the makeup of your client base um, it's if you if you were to take a purely business approach to it we would have a very structured defined customer list of, of certain people. Um, but unfortunately, business isn't necessarily clinical and you, 20 years in business, um, we've got clients that have been with us for 20 years that are still two or three staff. Um, and we won't move on from those, even though they're probably not our most profitable clients, but it's Geelong, these people are still part of the community, um, all the way up to uh, global brands and uh, one of our favourite clients who had a call with this morning is Cobram Estate Olive Oil. We love those guys. Um, they've been a client for over a decade uh, and we keep watching them grow and do amazing things. And a good Geelong story too. Yeah. another. Well, amazing, and this is one of the beautiful things is, is you, over the years you uncover these businesses that other people know about but it's like I had no idea these guys existed. Um, same with Boomeroo Nurseries. Like they're one of the biggest seedling producers in the country and they're in... Lara. That's right. Like really I think Lara. I've got more Cobram oil in my blood than I've got blood. <laughs> yeah. It's a good thing. It's a, it's a great product, that's for sure. Now, um, over the last couple of years, I've been judging the Geelong Business Awards, and part of it is, of course, you always delve into their IT and what their systems are and how they're getting their reports out. One of my observations, not only with that, but Mark and I have been doing a lot of mentoring of private business owners and, and small business. And my general observation is they severely lack in having systems and processes on the IT side of thing that gives them the real information they need. Now, my other observation is that is all there. It's in their system. Yep. But I once heard that with if you've got a Microsoft package, you use ten percent of it. Yeah, you know, it's a small business, kind of like our brains, right? That's right. <laughs> so um, the advantage of coming to somebody like Evo Logic, I noticed that you uh, on your website that you said that you'll come and do a review, a bit of a diagnostic. Yep. How important is that to a business owners? Look, as far as a diagnostic goes, we often don't know what we don't know. Um, so it's a similar approach in that IT has this or perceived uh, everybody's next door neighbor's grandson can, can look at computers, right? So it, 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 at some level that is actually true. And as the cloud becomes 
or is the cloud, right? It's, it's all computers everywhere else at the moment. Um, the endpoint or the, the device that people use is relatively easy to manage, but what's happened is that explosion has happened in the back end where it used to be one piece of tin that sat under the stairs in an office that had your email, had your files, had your security, it was your remote internet connection, it had everything in one little piece of tin. So from a management perspective, it was very easy for us to look after that device. Now there's 14, I think the, the actual the stat is the average small business has got 17 internet or technology providers that they have to deal with on a daily basis. So from an audit perspective, it's not necessarily what you're using, it's do you actually know what you're using? Is there shadow IT tucked away in the corner there that three people are using Dropbox that you're actually leaking data? You've got open internet connections to it that people are using Gmail over here and they could potentially be forwarding off client lists. There's, there's risks all over the place that people necessarily aren't aware of. Christoph, one of my other favourite sayings, and it comes from a company that I'm uh, on the board of, and we're going through a transition into NetSuite at the moment. Um, but our IT guru, who I uh, think has saved us on many occasions, keeps talking about the single source of truth. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think small business owners don't, don't get. Is, and I also noticed that you're a gold partner of Microsoft. Yes. So tell us a bit about Microsoft as an application for business owners. Look, Microsoft is a, I hate this phrase, but it's more of an ecosystem now. Yeah. Um, it used to be an operating system and it used to be an office package. Um, then they've decided to, like, the, we all used to deal with, I can say I'm aging myself here, but there was mainframe computers, which were time shared, which was this big, huge central computer that everybody remotely logged into. Then we went back to all the processing power sits on the desk, desktop, we have some centralised files, and now we've distributed that again. So everything's in waves. Um, so Microsoft has capitalised on that. They've built a phenomenal infrastructure that uh, Azure, which is their online, what would we call it, cloud database and server infrastructure, uh, Office 365, which is their communications collaboration platforms. So there's a phenomenal amount of information here that you can basically go to one vendor and have fully interconnected. And from a data availability perspective, every one of those systems is interconnected through a Microsoft system that we can pull data from through Power BI or some other application. So there's lots of opportunity in there for, for small business. It was funny watching, not funny, it was quite sad actually, watching some businesses struggle through COVID purely because their visibility has been taken away from them because they rely too heavily on seeing somebody at their desk to ensure productivity. Um, we're in a really privileged position in our industry that everything we do is digital, so it doesn't matter where our people are. We can see what they're working on, we can see if they've worked, so there's no opportunity to fill a void of information with distrust. So it was actually a really good period for us to prove our worth uh, from a remote management. We had an idea years before COVID that we were going to have a work from the beach day as a marketing exercise. <laughs> so we're going to turn the power off to the office, we're going to get some trestle tables and we're going to have all the staff down the beach and we're going to have 100% service levels for the day. Um, we'd market it in some way, video it, just to prove that it could be done. Then COVID hit and everybody had, had to, to do, do it. it. <laughs> so I missed my, missed my window. <laughs> um, so going back a little Back to, the, to, to your journey, Chris. So um, you left Alcar, went off to another organisation. Yeah. Um, what were your next steps? So the, 
nobody starts a business without some level of arrogance or some belief that they could do something better. Um, I want to thank, you know, be, I'm thankful that I figured out really quickly that I didn't know everything I thought I knew, so that had some humility came in. Um, but at Alcoa, a good friend of mine at the time uh, and I decided to start Evologic together as business partners, um, and it was a great few years. Um, so 2002 we started, um, I moved back to Geelong, we worked out of my parents' study for a while, then we moved out of his house, um, got our first office at the Belcher's Corner on the corner of mm -hmm. Ryrie and Moorable that's now a, a gaping crater. So yep. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't us, we didn't do it, that was a long time ago. Um, and I think 2004 or five, we made our first acquisition, which was um, a company called, what were they called? Forget the name. I should remember that because it was a really significant turning point yep. for us. Um, acquired some good customers that are still with us um, and some staff and had an office at, on Myers Street there. Um, and that was, the, that was the first step for us as opposed to the ramp of growth that people are usually on. That's very cool because where Bill and I often talk about uh, sort of tipping points and uh, what sliding door moments, you know, something happens and it changes your direction. Yours was failing eight out of ten subjects, I would suggest, that <laughs> tipped you into yeah. getting back into the degree and finishing it. And It's a motivator. It's a motivator. Yeah. Everybody needs a, a, a stick every now and again or a little bit of a whip. Um, uh, we recently turned 20 as an organisation in, in uh, July the 1st, so we had a party, as you do, um, Truffle Duck, it was amazing. Um, everyone says you need to write a speech, and I'm not a speech writer, um, but in thinking about it, there, there's certain, there are significant phases um, through the business, th the 20-year journey, uh, of which we've just gone through another phase, actually. But um, the first version of Evo, we didn't know what we didn't know. We were just having a really good time. We were working really hard, trying to do really good work. Um, and back then, our industry was based on time and materials, hourly billing, so effort-based work, um, where it actually didn't matter if we did a really good job or not because we'd be back to fix it again and rebuild the client. So it doesn't necessarily align with a business's requirement of an outcome. It's just us filling hours. So our skill set, the, the better we were at our job, the less money we made. So it didn't necessarily align. Um, so there was a transition in the industry to this managed service provider or fee-for-service, uh, fixed scope of services at a fixed price, um, and technology allowed us to achieve that. Um, but the GFC was a, a real turning point for us as an organisation. Um, we were growing really rapidly. We were also losing money really rapidly because we were over-servicing our customers and undercharging, which contributed to our growth. You know, when nobody says no to one of your proposals, you're probably too cheap. Um, so my business partner at the time, Gary, and I, it, there was an open, frank, not too long, but it was awkward conversation about one of us had to go. Um, unfortunately for Gary, it was me that ended up in, in, in the business. Um, we'd lost probably a $2 million business then. We probably lost seven, eight hundred thousand dollars with the clients within six months period. Um, and I think we will do nine million dollars this year, which is you know, a reasonable turnaround. Um, but it's, it was a, that was a, I've still got PTSD from that moment. Uh, I call it the pit of despair yep. because you're not sure whether you're going to fall off the cliff or you can actually climb out of it. Uh, so yeah, that was, there was a lot of learnings from that period. Yeah, but there've been a lot of successes too. And it's always important to turn around 
look where you come from and celebrate yep. the successes. Yep. That's, that's really important. Yeah, it's behind you. <laughs> not, not to wallow in it. Yes, yeah. that's right. So, so, Chris, what do you see the future of your business? If five years' time we're sitting here doing a, another podcast with Chris, yep. where do you see yourself? Where's the business? Where, where do you hope to be? Well, it's um, probably quite timely in that the business we've just advised all our clients in the last week, um, we've merged with another organisation as of December um, so we're now part of a group called the Virtual IT Group, which is a national IT services company, uh, about 340 staff. So we've now extended the, the offering that we have in Geelong all the way across the country. Um, the staff remain the same. I'm remaining in the business. It's, it's going to be a really interesting. So this is the, so the, the first section of Eva was didn't know what we didn't know. Second section was a, was a managed services, bit more mature organisation. And now this is the... The national phase of the organisation. Yeah, so. That's what a lot of uh, legal firms and accounting companies have done, isn't it? Yep. Because they get that benefit of all that extra expertise and knowledge. Yeah. And the power of branding as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, being regional, being Geelong, um, a 20-year brand is mm. it, it will be hard to let go of or hard to get rid of because you know, you're buying some goodwill in that as well. Um, but from our perspective just keeping in front of cyber risk and governance requirements that some of our larger organisations have, it, it's expensive and exhausting. And a lot of organisations, IT businesses, just can't do it. Uh, so it was a, we were doing better than most because we were investing more. Um, our ISO 27001 information security management certification was a huge investment that not a lot of IT companies could actually afford to do. So we're really lucky to, to be in a position to do that. But now we have this depth that we can reach across across Australia. So um, it was a really nice moment for me to unlock some equity after 20 years, as well as remain in the business and give my staff and customers just a better experience going forward. So five years' time? Yeah. Uh, I don't know where I'll be. Um, I would like to still be doing what I'm doing, um, particularly in Geelong. It's a great space to, to, cool. to live in. in work so uh, a question we also sort of ask folk is who's mentored you do you have a mentor uh see mentors are or mentors yeah it's i've got i'm very some some people call me opinionated but i've got a real thing with mentoring in that a mentor is someone who freely provides you advice and guidance because of through a through a uh, i suppose the lens of care not necessarily through a lens of being paid to provide mentoring i think that's more coaching in my mind. So um, I was phenomenally lucky to be a member of the CEO Institute in Geelong um, for quite some time. Uh, and the chairman at the time was a gentleman by the name of Terry Wills Cook, uh, who at some point goes, can I see your PL? Can we catch up and have a chat? Um, and 15 years later, he's a phenomenal friend. He's helped me through everything. I wouldn't have the business if it wasn't for him. Um, I was very lucky to have him chair my advisory board for a few years with Barry Fagg. Um, so I've had a lot of people to provide me with a lot of information and help and guidance. Um, but probably the most important part during the years was being a member of a peer group. Um, so very lucky that our industry had a structured peer group where uh, obviously aligned organisations delivering the same services but geographically disparate. So we could share best practices, we could benchmark financial performance, why is your marketing spend not delivering what it should be? Um, so we spent 10 years, I think, in that group, 
which really was an accelerator around what good looks like. So that's your mentoring group. That's right. Absolutely. Well, Very cool. Mark, Very good. My final question is about cybersecurity mm-hmm. because, as I said, I'm involved with a business that's doing $100 million and do, you know, nearly 300 staff. And when we made the decision to uh, review all our IT services, uh, we found out that we'd been hacked often oh. and regularly, right? <laughs> and we had no idea. Yeah. And at one stage, we we had lost three months of our data and all sorts of issues. Yeah. And we were assured by somebody working for us that everything was okay. Now, it scares the daylights out of me yeah. with small to medium enterprises, and you know, I'm talking $50 million turnover companies in that bracket, that yep. when you ask them about cyber security, they say, yeah, we're safe, everything's in the cloud, we're okay. Yep. Uh, what's your advice to clients about cyber security? It's more simple but more complex than anybody probably realises, um, which is the most confusing statement I think I could probably ever say. Um, if somebody wants to get your data, they can. They'll find a way. Um, I've seen some hackers in full flight. There's ways people, you know, the old USB dropping, there's uh, different mechanisms for people to find your data. But the simplest one and the most prolific one is people clicking on the wrong thing from an email. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a line that somebody used. Uh, it's about the human firewall being the first place to start. Everyone thinks that if I secure all my IT systems in the back end, then I'm gonna be fine. But it's not necessarily the back end. I think 80% is a, is a reasonable number of uh, breaches that occur because somebody's just clicked on an email. Um, so security awareness training for people is probably the first step that everyone should be doing, but everyone goes, oh, no, no, I know what I'm doing. It's the receptionist, no offense, but this is a real story, uh, who's clicked on and locked up a legal firm's data and then within a couple of weeks done the same thing because she's got access to her hotmail through this through the work computers so it's it's such a complex area but it can be broken down to obviously you need to protect your environment Um, then you need mechanisms to be able to recover because you will be hacked at some point so you need your backups, you need your recovery processes, you need to have an incident response plan so that everybody knows what to do uh, and how to manage reputational damage that will come. Um, but then being able to detect is, 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 is something that happens in the middle there. And IT people will focus on the protect because we want to put the protections and controls in place. Uh, Organisations need to worry about how they respond um, because the, the length of time between the detection and reputational damage financial impact is really short. Um, the company we use to help us with our governance processes, um, the two directors used to own a, a web hosting company in Melbourne that was hacked. Um, and there's a 14 day timeline between breach and bankruptcy that they talk through. Uh, and that's just a phenomenally frightening story. Very scary. But great to learn from. It's interesting, uh, last week I went to the AICD conference in Melbourne for two days and one of the speakers was the number two, now retired from Homeland Security in the States. And they said, the question of her was, well, who's doing all this? And she said, who isn't? Yeah. It's not just a country, it's not just a state, it's a disgruntled staff member. It's, it's... But her big take, and you, you sort of touched on this earlier, 
was what else is, is your business attached to that you don't realise is coming into your system? So you mentioned Dropbox, yeah. but she said payroll systems, you name it, if they're all coming into your system, they all have access and yeah. people tend to forget that third party or... The supply chain. The supply chain. That that's to be taken would, into account. Yeah, so oh, really interesting. Yeah, Mark, I'll give you an example. So I had um, some couple of grandkids staying on Friday night and yesterday morning I was opened up my phone and there's an app in there. That's Roblox. Right? <laughs> Where'd that come from? Well, it's my eight-year-old grandson. Know how Got to download apps. Yep. Downloaded it onto my phone. Yeah, no, you right. have to be very careful. And when you take that to an office and you connect to a corporate Wi-Fi network. That's right. So off that's, you go. That's only last night I found that, so that's coming off today. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're right, Chris, the, 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 the human element is so... Uh, back, back in the day, um, when I was running a MITRE 10 organisation in Geelong, we had a, a person that clicked on the, your post is about to be delivered, click on this link, and it started to madly encrypt stuff. And by sheer luck, one of the folk in the office, uh, this was a remote um, access, had a look and was looking through some old files and noticed the files were being encrypted in front of their eyes, but starting at the oldest file. Lucky. So there was a quick phone call to the, to the store, pull the plug out of the wall, yep. literally, and uh, we then went to uh, our friends at Extreme at the time and uh, managed to unencrypt because, yeah. long story short, they, they managed to get through it all. But it was luck. If, if we hadn't picked it up, it would have just quietly moved on to the more recent data and encrypted it and we would have been in deep. Quite, quite often, you know, looking at the old data, which is why it would start there. Uh, in it, it's an industry. People, you can purchase encryption or, or, or malware on the dark web and you can either buy it outright and then profit from it or you can do a profit share with the creator and give them a percentage of it's amazing isn't it? it's ridiculous it's it's malware as a service yeah. um, billions of dollars in, in industry um, we, we used to do a work uh, a lot of work with encompass uh, unfortunately um, no longer with us sounds like a death um, but well, it was a death. It was a death. Yes. But prior prior yeah. to us coming on board, we heard stories about yeah we we were encrypted. We had a um, a malware attack, um, and we rang them. Uh, I forget who was relaying the story, and they we told them we're a charity. Can can you reduce this? And they gave us a fifty percent charity discount. Um, and the help desk were phenomenally helpful of the hackers. So <laughs> it's a it's a service. They're deli- and if, yeah. if if they are seen to not give you back your, yeah. the encryption key, then people won't pay them in the future. So they need to, it's a business. Um, but the, the advice is never pay, never pay because then they know where you are and then they know you've got money. And then they know you will pay. They'll be back. <laughs> They'll be back. Well, look, listening to all of this, my advice to business owners is to uh, have a review, get somebody like... And Chris, I don't know if that offer's still open on your website at evologic.com.au is to have a review of of what's going on with your IT systems because I can tell you now you have no idea. If you're a business owner, you've got no idea. So I think that's uh, uh, wise advice, even if I say so myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But go to Evo Logic and seek some help. Just ask questions and seek some help. 
ask questions. That's yeah. all we need to do, right? Yeah. When we assume we know, that's we when don't. we're in trouble. So thank you, Chris. I've really enjoyed our chat. Thanks and, and good luck for the future. A, a whole new brave world is opening up for you. Yeah. So um, I, I hope to uh, still see you guys around Geelong, which I'm sure we will, and uh, wish you all success. Yes, same here, Chris. It's great to meet you today and um, can only wish you every success. And it's an industry where I don't think we know what the future holds. No, it's going to be interesting. Okay. Let's not get started on AI. Yep. Thank you. Thank you.